0: Colleagues, Anthony McKay, CEO and Board Co-Chair of the National Centre on Education and the Economy, uh, and delighted that for today's Global Education Talk, I am joined by John Schnur. John, welcome. Great to be with you, Tony. Well, John, uh, people know you as CEO of America Achieves. They know you as the co-founder of new leaders for new schools. They know you because of your connections to Harvard, to Aspen Institute, to a whole global network. They also know that you've been a very significant advisor to multiple administrations, so Clinton and Obama, and, of course, right now to the Biden administration. What some people mightn't know is that the work that you're focused on now, and indeed a track record, is a perfect fit, I have to say, for an outfit like ours, which is a center on education and the economy, because that has also been your life, uh, your passion, and right now is a very significant part of the contribution you are making uh, in a Biden administration absolutely committed to uh, infrastructure resources, building back better. And the focus for us today in our conversation, I guess is what you've termed a good jobs agenda. So um, it's great to have you with us uh, for this conversation. Just before I launch in to my first question, have I have I roughly got your positioning right? Or would you like just to nuance that a little bit, just so that you can say something that might make uh, uh, a greater a link for some people. I would just say that that uh, would,
1: um, your description would suggest that I ought to bring more clarity and insight to the solutions needed for our world than I feel like I've got. But, I, <laughs> uh, but there's nothing you said that's inaccurate and I'm eager to dive into with you okay. and this audience, kind of piece puzzle together, how to do what your organization was founded for and named for You lead, which is how really to link education to the economy, how to link ed- the economy to education, so we can actually have a good job as an economy that works for economic growth and for our people. And I think we're in a time of trying to puzzle that through together. I wish I had more clarity, but I'd love to offer some thoughts and keep learning from you and
0: everyone in this this community moving forward. Well, it's great. We're learning from each other. Um, Your good colleague and ours, uh, Bob Schwartz, was my previous guest. uh, And he was advancing as part of really what is intended to be a highly complementary pair of Global Ed Talks. Advancing the importance of a a career pathway system that, literally, in your terms, would be dedicated to a good jobs agenda. And you think about this, I know. Good jobs is not just about uh, the economic uh, implications uh, for people's lives, but is also to enhance our our individual and collective humanity. Because we are pretty committed to having a prosperous economy, a more cohesive society, and Higher levels of well being. So, I guess if that's the kind of agenda that we're all engaged in promoting and advancing, what is the big picture? Can we just talk about uh, an education system that's more strongly linked to good jobs and the new economy? Is that the way in which you capture the essence of the big picture that we are now attempting to advance, given all of the challenges that we face, particularly? at a time when we've never quite experienced uh the disruption that's been associated with the pandemic. But as you've said, this disruption is not going anywhere. Absolutely right. I
1: think what you said is right, Tony, and also knowing that as you shared, that I'm following Bob Schwartz in this series is humbling. Bob is a great um leader, a great thinker, a great practitioner, a great mentor. I think his work on Career Pathways has been groundbreaking and pioneering. And so it's an honor to follow him and be with you. I would say what you named is, is, in my view, right, which is we are at the most significant, most rapid shift in the history of the world economy. Arguably, the industrial age was as significant. This is faster. The change in the economy, the change in technology, the change in politics, the pace of change is unprecedented. And while there are a lot of implications for that, including for democracy and politics and media and companies, the implications for education are profound, as you know well. And data point, a couple of data points just to, you know, uh, make this concrete, you know, uh, high school, for a lot of the 20th century, the U.S. really became competitive in the world as we kind of extended high school education to most of our people. And that was right at the time because high school degree for a while was a ticket to a middle class lifestyle today the world's changed, the economy's changed, and a high school degree is a ticket by itself to poverty, not a middle-class lifestyle. Tennessee, there's data came out a couple of years ago that showed high school graduates, the only high school education in Tennessee in 2010, by six or eight years later, were they were earning about $9,000, $9,000 uh, with a high school degree. High school degree once, what actually fueled our celebrating, people crossed the stage, earned the diploma, you know, they've got a shot at the world now is earning, generating $9,000 income for the average graduate six, to eight years later in one state. And that's not so far off from other states too. So we know that education, the bar has been raised and is differentiated in terms of what people need to be able to get good jobs that can power this economy and power their own lives. And at the same time, I would say, while I, like many people in this community, have worked hard to expand and extend and diversify, who can get a college degree? And that's very, very, very important two-thirds of this country does not have a college degree in the united states yeah two-thirds and ten percent of our low-income kindergartners wind up with a college degree we need to expand and diversify that but if we don't have a solution that can help those at least initially without a college degree have sure pathways into good jobs and good work that can actually fuel economic growth that can support people to help support a family to the community by the way good jobs in this era are the same skills. You need to be just a good you know, citizen and live human life in terms of your critical thinking skills, your collaboration skills, your ability to apply academics. This is not about instrumental approaches or mechanistic approaches to good jobs. It's about the skills and competencies that can fuel a good job's economy, good work, and human life. If we don't make those connections, including for the vast majority of our low-income working-class families who don't get a college degree, we're neither going to power economic growth and competitiveness nor are going to keep alive the American dream of getting closer and closer to being a place where everyone can work hard, get ahead, and support themselves, their family, and the community. So we need to adapt our education systems and pathways to this changing economy with a higher and differentiated bar. And I'd say if we don't, the consequences are profound. Some people will say public education's failed in the United States. I think that's definitely not true. We've made progress in many ways to help set out and made, set out and accomplished what we've wanted to accomplish in many ways, with pockets of failure. But this change has been so profound and the bar has been raised so high and the human competitive advantage is now so different for what good jobs entail that if we don't adapt to the change, we will both have gotten better and fallen behind at the same time. We'll have improved but not adapted and the gap between what our people need and what they actually contribute and what they do will be so profound that it'll feel like failure even if we're building on a foundation of success so adapting to the moment in a way that links education to the economy, as you know well, and economy education is kind of the mo- the window of opportunity that we've got with very high stakes for the economy and for our people.
0: So, John, uh, before we tackle what that might look like in a, a concrete way, right? An an action agenda. <laughs> uh, yes. the, 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 if you it like, the, the near-term of what you are advising on contributing to promoting now let me just understand the translation from the big picture into that action and it strikes me that you have said this will require some significant shifts both both mind shifts and shifts in practice right um, yes. so if you had to try and identify what they might be and how you would describe them? Is it a shift in the education system? Is it a shift from labour markets that then have influence back into the learning system? What's the dynamic that you are seeing that will give us the opportunity of being able to achieve a good jobs agenda? A new economy, which, by the way, you've said already and said in other places, must be inclusive if if this doesn't deal with the human condition for all, then the very the very elements at the moment that are disruptive are going to be even further uh, significant in the way in which we're trying to build the new economy new society yeah so the shifts yeah, so
1: well first we've got shifts that are happening and the I think you're right part of this is we have an increasingly stratified um, um, economy and population.
0: Yeah. And the pandemic
1: has both exacerbated and given a window on many inequities that we face, income inequality, inequality racial yeah. inequality, mm-hmm. geographic inequality. Um, and the consequences of the shifts, of course, are the most profound for those who had the least to date and we are risking losing our ability to compete if we don't actually deploy all of our great talent and assets across our communities. So the equity and the competitiveness agendas are inextricably linked. Um, and that's just a pattern that's just happening and that we have to address. I think in terms of how we actually move toward action, as you're describing rightly, Tony, and think about what it takes to move on this big picture, I think there are some examples. Um, in particular programs and places in this country. I think there's some examples globally um, that can inform this. I don't think the United States can just adopt or should adopt like the Swiss system, for example. That said, Switzerland has a dual learning system which is pegged toward careers. That's very important works in Switzerland. I think we have an American version of that or a version that works for certain states and certain regions of that. So I think there are examples of success, but for the most part, I don't think we've adapted our systems yet. So how does it look? I think first of all, there's certain principles that will look different in different states, in different regions, communities. There is not a one-size-fits-all nationwide solution here, but there are some principles I think that matter. And then we'll get into very concrete. I know I hope in a couple of minutes, but some principles include, I think, backward mapping from what employers are actually hiring for, in terms of competencies, skills, knowledge for high-demand, high-growth, career-launch, car, you know, jobs, um, is very important. I do think the competencies and skills that employers actually need in this sh- uh, new economic era. Actually, in many cases, are the same competency skills that we need to be effective citizens or just live life. You do need a strong foundation on academics, for sure, of literacy and math and science and history. But at the same time, the ability to apply knowledge to solve particular problems, the ability to work through problems in groups, the ability to read people and like interact with those. Some of these are like human competitive advantages that are going to, at least for the next several decades, We I suspect, hopefully more, allow us to thrive in a way that machine automation robots don't so it's a foundation but it's a 21st century foundation of skills that are similar in some ways for jobs and careers, as for just leveraging and building our humanity, but starting yes. with yes. those and backward mapping for those things is principle one principle two. I'd argue is thinking about how do you leverage better leverage a blend an integrated blend of classroom based learning and work based learning. Like Switzerland, I think dual system does a good job of. I'm not saying we should adopt that exactly, but I think there are ways to think about that at scale in the U.S. Three, I think that we ought to be looking across our educational programs and institutions from early learning to K-12 to post-secondary to ongoing workforce. Think about there's a more integrated way, how you can actually advance people in ways that they can keep on building on throughout their lives with a particular uh, focus on those transition points from early learning into kindergarten, from 11th to 12th grade into the first two years post high school, from post-secondary education training into those first good jobs. Um, and then that kind of a step up into a, a next um, tier in that in their career, those transition points become key. I think then being driven by data and driven by being data centered and learner centered, having data that drives improvement, being grounded in what we've learned a lot about the brain and brain science, how people learn is very important. But I think if we look at education only within the education system, In the end, we're gonna wind up staying more the same than adapting. I think the ability to connect education to strengthen and be informed by where the economy is going to are really prepared for helping to get good jobs, to build good jobs, to usher in changes in the economy in a humanistic way. I think that kind of, in some ways removing the moat that separates education from the economy is key because that's gonna both inform and fuel and support education in a way that I think we're not doing at scale today. So I think there's ways of making that very yeah. actionable. I think those principles applied in very particular ways in certain states and communities, I think are kind of a, a through line that can kind of help guide states and communities toward action that makes sense for them.
0: I mean, that the, just this uh, a quick uh, uh, reflection before we move into the, the current agenda in real time. <laughs> um, and that is what you've just described builds upon what you and I and others have, been investing in that is a a high performing system with all of its components. Often we've described that in ways that pick up on everything from early childhood to the investment in teacher education to high quality instruction to the links, obviously, into career and technical education. But it strikes me your answer then uh, was saying more. It was saying, yeah, that's what we'll need in systemic terms. But if you apply some other principles here, you get the benefit of the system connecting to what ultimately i guess in some people's language is an ecosystem yeah that has other stakeholders involved in this that come together and reinforce and provide a more powerful enabling environment for the work to be done is is that is that another way of being able to uh you know give a give a kind of insight into the that, that the shift that you're asking for and where the momentum comes from.
1: I, I totally agree with you, Tony. I think you're, you're right. I think thinking about an ecosystem and education as part of that ecosystem is really important. I think sometimes we can think about, we do for sure need to go from just better programs to systems that can be sustainable yeah. change. I think when we think about um, systems only in the context of educators as, oh, here's the early learning system or the K-12 system or post-secondary system, that is too narrow. I think it is an ecosystem that involves um, beyond education. And most importantly, I think the economy employers individually, collectively, not for like an instrumental purpose, but to actually sense of where the work is going. I think we need to have, a, it'll help those interconnections can both inform and support, make sure that our education system is focused on where the puck is going in yep. hockey or the soccer ball is being kicked,
0: not where it's been before. <laughs> okay, well done. <yeah. laughs> That's 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 a perfect way into well okay where is the ball now well one of the balls right now right is with the Biden administration's infrastructure commitment and 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 I'll just use the language of a couple of programs that you have made me familiar with and we are at the moment engaged with namely Build Back Better and a good yeah. jobs agenda so if you had to try and capture what it is that you are advising, what it is that you are promoting, and what it is you think we can do with resources at this moment in time to advance the very agenda right, that you've just outlined. Make this concrete for us. Well,
1: I think that um, there are a lot of people who are tuning in right now who have tremendous knowledge about education and about learning and about the economy. Um, again, you're NCE from the beginning and focus on education and economy rightly so and I think that that expertise has an opportunity in your organization and this community to be shaped to be leveraged right now rather in a very important moment in time from an economic and social perspective the need for adaptation is crucial I think the resources that are coming out from this bipartisan infrastructure law that's now been passed uh, from the rescue plan that got passed earlier in the year And I think more likely than not, we'll see. But from the Build Back Better legislation, uh, if not in December, then maybe in January, I think those resources provide both a a means to address a crisis, but also an opportunity to build the future at the same time. And the resources that are are coming out are in several categories. One is there's just resources that are going to build a lot of good jobs in this country and jobs that are gateways to good jobs. The infrastructure bill that got passed is gonna support a lot of good jobs to help build, leverage our talent to rebuild the country. We've gotta make sure that we've got people from all backgrounds, including those who've been underserved, be able to have the skills needed to get those jobs. And we've got the ability to forecast now what those jobs are in a very unusual way, given the scale of that investment, including in the trades and technology and healthcare and child and senior care and more. Second, there is an investment in economic development and innovation that I think is absolutely crucial in this administration. And this build back better economic regional economic challenge that you mentioned that the Commerce Department has put out a one billion dollar competition is important in itself. But I also think it reflects principles that inform other Biden administration work going forward. And that competition is giving communities around the country and metropolitan regions and states the chance to how do they build on their natural, their human, their technology assets to build out industry growth clusters that have the chance to help really be nationally and globally competitive. And then can look at as part of the economic development, how do you create the talent pipelines and the people pipelines to actually power those um, strengths of the economy moving forward? And I think that kind of economic development focus in this Build Back Better contest that's going on right now, that over 500 communities have applied for, 30 to 50 will win, up to $100 million grants. Big, I think there's more funding like that coming and the Build Back Better legislation, if it gets passed, that will be give even larger grants to individual communities if it passes. That's a second tier of very important work. And then the third is around education and career pathways to use Bob Schwartz's term for it. And the Commerce Department has a $500 million good jobs challenge out right now. January 26th is the deadline. Grants that'll be significant there as well, focused entirely on workforce development and education pipelines for in-demand sectors. If Build Back Better passes, then we're gonna see several billion dollars to the Labor Department for partnerships, sectoral partnerships. We're gonna see $5 billion in the current form of the legislation to community colleges. Uh, or other associate degree programs that link to in-demand careers. We're going to see a billion dollars for post-secondary completion and retention programs that are going to also be competitive. And we're going to see an influx of a five-year funding for states that can be used flexibly that basically the headline is a lot of resources are coming in to build good jobs, support economic innovation, support workforce development education at a time when state and local officials are um, mission-driven at their best, but A little overwhelmed, fatigued, managing crises, and the chance to help think about how those can be leveraged to both address the crisis, use these resources, win competitive grant programs, and build the systems and the ecosystems for the long term, I think are absolutely crucial. The last thing I'd say is there's a recognition that the Biden administration has, and others who have been the leading edge of this, including yourselves, that even with all these governmental resources, this can't be done without employers at the table in a very significant way. And the role that employers really need to play individually and collectively will be crucial. I do think these these funding opportunities in the hands of the right local and state coalitions can be successful, particularly with employer partnerships by sector that really both put employer skin in the game, but also then help really leverage employer resources and know-how to help this kind of ecosystem get created. But there's this rare moment of significant one-time funding for several years that can be leveraged with the right expertise, including those who are tuning in right now.
0: Well, let me let me finally ask you this question, John. Um, this is a this is a national agenda <laughs> in a global context, and yet what you're describing also underscores the importance of uh, place-based. Yes, yeah, very works. much. Use some other language that you know a few of us share. Yeah, and there are moments where I hear the state mentioned, I hear a region mentioned. There's a real sense in which Uh, The politics of this need to support the economic and social agenda, right, Uh, in ways where people in communities are able to see a future of the kind that you talked about before. So we want this at a scale that ultimately embraces the nation, and yet to grow that scale is going to be a huge challenge, and yet the resources, as you say, are significant, they're substantial. A moment in time, I think you called it. So my my final question is, can we do this within the, the nation, within the federal system, within the state politics? It's a workforce response here that has got to tackle all of those complexities, and I love the fact that you talk about this at times, in terms of almost regions or economic zones or yeah. you know there, there, there's a nuance to this that feels absolutely right but how do you position it in relation to the kind of forces well it's a very
1: good question and very the insight's totally right i think that the federal government is providing a very historic one-time resources Yep, this cannot cannot be a federal strategy or federal plan um Part of the messiness and the beauty of American democracy, and American life is the decentralized nature of our country. And I think that that's true from a governmental perspective. It's also true from an economic perspective. Right. We have places around the country that are interconnected, thriving regions where you've got industries and suppliers and you've got certain strengths and economic sectors that are in certain places that are different from others. And while there's some underlying principles that can be the same. In the end, this has got to be led and driven at the local, regional, state level and i agree with you that there are different um ways that could play out i think the state government plays a key role there are times where i think we're a governor and a set of players at the state level can come together and across business and government and education and communities and uh, there can be a statewide agenda i think that secretary ronda who is leading this in very important ways in the Biden administration. It was an example of this as governor of Rhode Island, um, a smaller state, but nonetheless an example of how a governor and state across the country could act. But I also think like you were mentioning that if you think about economic and employer engagement and needs and a value proposition that can reflect employer and economic needs, often those employers are working, not always, but in a metropolitan region, in a labor market region, and there are certain um, economic clusters, industry clusters, as those in that field would describe them, that often can be across different um, communities, but often in a particular metropolitan region, which is uh, basically hospitable to a set of companies, suppliers, people. And I do think that that kind of regional um, opportunity yes. doesn't sit fit neatly with um, federal, state, county, or local government but yep. in the real world is important. And I do think one of the benefits of the Biden administration's approach through these Commerce Department Build Back Better and Good Jobs Challenge grants is they actually support coalitions with a hub, which has got a track record and trust across um, a region, can pull together a region in a way that meets the employer and economic needs, even if it needs to have more of an unusual coalition of including governments that support that. So I think we've got to try out a bunch of approaches, clearly not a federal plan, clearly not just one size fits all each state, region and community has got to figure out for themselves. But I do think there's this influx of resources that matched with focus and expertise could create a set of proof points. I hope we can look back now and say in several years that the whole country's made progress, but that we also have the opportunity, who's going to set the pace for the country? Which states, which metropolitan regions, which communities are going to create examples of, hey, this is American-style inclusive economic growth. This is American-style good jobs economy. This is an American style, how human beings can match with technology to advance society. And I I don't know who that will be yet, but I I am seeing evidence that in some big cities, some small communities, some rural communities, where local ingenuity, with the right kind of collective action across employers and education across every sphere, I think are going to create some examples that can inform the the world. We don't know who those will be yet, but they're out there. And I think those of us who are looking to play supportive roles ought to be looking for those places. Even more than the federal government, where the expertise can be leveraged to support those places, creating models that
0: work and shine a spotlight on the future for us. Hey, John, um, this has been our final NCE Global Ed Talk in our 2021 series. Uh, John, you know, we could not have been better served than this conversation. John, thank you. Well, thank you, Tony. And let's hope we can all work together and look back 10 years from now and
1: say this opportunity has been seized and not squandered. I suspect we have a much better shot of that given the work you and NCE do. So thanks for having me and look forward to hoping to work with you moving forward, Tony.
0: Renewed. Thanks. Thank you very much, John.